0: We are back with another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, a retired portfolio manager, looked after people's financial affairs. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Welcome. We're going to talk about the big issue that's been talked about a lot in Canada over this last couple of years, Ron, during the pandemic. We've seen housing prices just go exponentially up the ladder to the point where I don't know anybody who can, have, I don't know enough guys with that kind of cash to be able to step up and buy a home. The average working person has no shot, do they?
1: <laughs> very, very uh, difficult, especially if you're looking at some of the major markets. You know, I did a Making Money Minute show here just uh, just a couple days ago, and the, the show was on how much it costs to buy a home. And it in Edmonton, which is the lowest cost city of the six major centers in Canada, it takes uh, an average home costs four point seven times an average family salary. And you go to the big centers like Toronto or Vancouver, and you're looking at uh, fifteen to sixteen times the average salary family salary to buy a home. And in Edmonton, you can still get an average home at $2,100 a month is, would be your, your ownership costs. And
0: so you know, you're talking mortgage and taxes and all those things.
1: Yeah, those yeah. kind of things. And of course, it's about $1,200 a month to rent. And so many people have opted to rent instead of buy so that they can save some money to do so. And recently we've had, you know, you've seen all kinds of, of interviews on the media where they've interviewed couples that have bought a home and they've had what they call buyer's regret, you know,
0: because home prices in Canada are percent right now, and
1: most analysts are saying that before it's all over, they're probably going to drop 20 percent. So if you bought, or you're thinking about buying, Well, you want to ask yourself some serious questions and just don't let the emotions of, boy, we're going to own our own property uh, overwhelm you. So today our show is literally about the eight questions you need to have answered before buying a home. And by sitting down and asking these questions and answering them, it's going to take some of the emotion out of the decision and it's going to make sure that you're, A, going to be able to afford it, and B, you're going to have a tenure long enough uh to make home ownership worthwhile
0: yeah that's that hurts i I think a lot of us have been through that scenario where you have made a purchase i remember i bought it you know probably the top of the market back in the when it would have been the early 80s and you know rates were high we bought the home the market went a little bit sour it took a long time for us to get back above purchase price but if you wait long enough i guess you know you can recoup those losses but That's a big blow to somebody who saved a down payment, gone through the trouble of buying a home, gets into the home, and then the market goes down, and they think, well, what have I just done here? And not to mention the fact that with rates rising, mortgage rates are going up, a lot of people are kind of backed into a corner there. So, is that one of the questions you have to ask yourself?
1: Yes. uh, You certainly have to ask yourself uh, questions about uh, affordability. And can you, uh, uh, number one, can you afford the payments? especially if rates go up now if you've locked yourself into a like a 5 year mortgage or you're borrowing from the bank of mom and dad and you've got to, you can have a fixed rate for 10 years well that's obviously ideal but most people they don't borrow that way they have uh, those adjustable rate mortgages or floating rate or variable rate mortgages and of course that ends up going up and down and and with rates rising as much as they have and of course, we're hearing hints from the Bank of Canada and the, U- the Federal Reserve, and also many of the, the foreign um, central banks are also pushing rates up dramatically for the simple reason that they need to fight inflation. And to fight inflation, the major tool is interest rates. You raise interest rates, you slow down inflation. And typically, once san- central bankers get on the bandwagon, they don't stop very quickly, Gord. They tend to continue until the fight is over. So anybody that's thinking that uh, the, the head of the Bank of Canada or the, the chair of the Federal Reserve is going to start feeling sorry for you and cut rate increases, they're probably not. If you want to know how hard they can push things to beat inflation, everybody looks at Paul Volcker back in the 80s when he pushed rates up to almost 20% uh, to kill inflation. And uh, central bankers, when they get the resolve, they get the job done. And frankly, inflation's off a little bit here from its highs, but not that much. And bank, central bankers will keep rates high. And if they have to, they'll raise them until they get inflation back down to their target area, which is 2 to
0: 3%. So if you have one of those variable mortgages and, and rates start to spike again, that's the time you should be talking to your financial institution about locking in a rate perhaps, right? It might be a very good idea, especially if rates go a lot higher. <clears throat> okay, number two. Will you have to move in the next few years? If your job situation changes, then what do you do, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are involved in the gig economy and long-term stability is an issue, or, uh, frankly, they're in a contract position where they have a certain job to get done. And then once it's over, uh, they're released and they go on to something else. And so you want to make sure that you don't have to move, you know, if you're in Alberta and all of a sudden the only jobs available are in Ontario, well, typically you're going to have to to sell. And and you need time, as Gord said, you know, when you bought your first house, uh, because you had a stable job and you were able to stay in one location for a long period of time, eventually house prices, which on average grow about two or 3% above inflation a year, um, you're you're gonna coast back on side. But if you take a 20% drop in your first year and you've got to move, do you rent it out? But then what do you do because you're a long distance landlord? Then things really, really get complicated. So you really want to make sure that you're anchored to the floor and have good career prospects before you
0: buy a home. And you have to look at, at really a little bit of geography, like where are you going to buy? Are you going to be in one of the bigger centers? Or if you live in a city, for instance, like Edmonton, there are a lot of outlying communities where housing prices perhaps are a little less expensive. Do you, do you take all of that into the equation too?
1: Well, you know, you look at communities like, for example, Fort McMurray or Drayton Valley, and there's a lot of communities in in the Western Canada that are highly dependent on the oil sector or the energy sector. And especially if you get into really small towns with resource-based economies, they can be really tough markets to sell in at any price. I mean, look at northern Ontario, some of the mining communities where they they shut down, some of the uh, coal-producing areas in northern BC, where there's literally big ghost towns up there because nobody wanted to buy a house. So you want to make sure that you look at the area that you're in and to make sure that the there's enough other industries that make the geography that you're living in attractive to have people coming and going and make sure the market is liquid enough. If you live in a, in a town with three or 400 other people and its main industry dries up, well, you might not be able to sell at any price. You might be just stuck with an asset. So small towns with resource-based economies can be tough markets. And you wanna make sure that if you're going to that place, you've got a job that's gonna be around for a really long time. So uh, you can let house prices naturally increase and, and float you out of any difficulties that you have.
0: I remember being in a small town in South Carolina a few years ago on a vacation, and we stayed at a bed and breakfast. And the town had been a mill town, a cotton mill town. Well, no more. And it wasn't a big town. It was probably 1,500, 1,600 people. But most of them had left. As you say, it was almost becoming a ghost town. There were all these abandoned homes. It was really sad. And the people that that we were staying in their home, they were ranchers not far from there. And they had other income. So they kept the house going as a bed and breakfast and and used it to educate us on the history of the area, which was fascinating. But I felt, you know, in my heart, I geez, these poor people. They just lost everything here. The town shut down. They can't sell their home. What do you do? You walk away. So it's, uh, that's a tough one. You also have to ask yourself too, Ron, and, and I think this is a fundamental question, what happens if I lose my job and I've purchased a home? Do I have enough money tucked away to carry myself till I get employed again?
1: Yeah, an emergency fund is really important. And of course, the, the rule of thumb is to try and have three months worth of uh, money tucked away. Or at least, you know, the bank of mom and dad to bail you out, or enough credit facilities so that you can reorient yourself. Because ninety days often is enough time to try and find another job, or if you've been hurt to get back on the job. Because often, even if you're collecting benefits, it takes it you know it takes a couple months before that first check starts showing up. So, uh, making sure you have an emergency fund will just keep. Um, you allowing you to make the payments even if something unexpected happens and so um, you know you see just so many people they're living from hand to mouth you know they in in Canada half the population if they had um, expenses of over a hundred or two hundred dollars they wouldn't have the resources to meet it so you don't want to get yourself that tied into a mortgage where you have no wiggle room whatsoever so um, it Everybody wants to buy as much house as they can afford, but you're often better buying a little less and to keep a little bit of that money tucked away in emergency fund so that if anything goes wrong, um, you can handle the contingencies and it'll allow you to keep what you got.
0: And you have to think about your relationship too. Uh, are you in a stable enough relationship to shoulder this responsibility? Because you get into a situation where you get some financial strain that puts strain on your relationship, often you hear about relationships coming apart in those scenarios, you got got to sit down and have a real frank discussion with your mate on this, don't you?
1: Yeah, because uh, financial stress generally is the leading cause of marital breakup. So if you start having financial stress and one of you moves out, uh, what is going to happen? Will you be able to recover uh, your sales commission and legal costs if you have to turn around and sell on short notice? And often the answer is no. You know, you can take a real financial haircut if uh, you find the quote-unquote love of your life, you move in, and then six months to a year later, the relationship dissolves, and you're left with this house that the price has gone down, and what
0: do you do now? Okay, let's take a look at another area here, commuting. This is something, especially in the last couple of years, with fuel prices at times got really high. They've eased off somewhat, but they're still expensive in some parts of the country. So you have to look at that as, as, a, as almost like a variable, right?
1: Yeah, and what I would recommend is sitting down and adding up all your costs. I mean, you're, you're, you need insurance, you need repairs, you've got depreciation, you've got gas, um, you've got other, other costs, uh, oil tires things like that you add all those in and then you divide it by the distance you drive and that'll determine your cost per mile or cost per kilometer and often i've seen people that have long commutes 60 to 100 kilometers each day and uh, they're literally finding that it would have been cheaper for them to buy a place closer because the commuting costs are just killing them so you're going to have to crunch some numbers here to make sure that you're getting something that's
0: cash flow sustainable for you. So we go back to that purchase price. You make the move. Market goes a little soft. You have to sort of sit down and try to do some kind of a calculation. I don't know what that would be, but how long do you have to be in this before you see some kind of positive return on your investment?
1: And this is especially true for people that are homeowners late in life, Gord. You know, uh, you're 55, maybe you're buying your own, your first home, and you have to have literally ask yourself how much appreciation do you need to break even to cover all your buy and sell costs, and will you live long enough in the home to recoup them? So, you know, if you're paying 2.5% fee to buy and a 2.5% fee uh, to sell, and you're looking at uh, taxes and you're looking at all the other costs that you've had to pay all your legal bills and so on, are you going to be able to you know, does a house have to go up by ten thousand, or twenty thousand, or thirty thousand, or forty thousand to be able to afford um, uh, to break even on this? Because if you you spend three hundred thousand on a house, and you've got commissions and legal costs for another ten or fifteen, and maybe you do a little work on the house, you got some taxes. Well, maybe you need three hundred and twenty to sell just to get all your money out. So you've got to do those calculations and figure out ahead of time you know, what your bogey or what your breakeven cost is going to be.
0: Okay, and the final point, will I be able to pay this thing off before I retire? You don't want to be facing retirement and still have a mortgage hanging over your head because your income has ceased, if you will. You might have a pension, but it won't be anywhere near what you were making as a salary.
1: Yeah, so many people buy houses off in their first house five years before retirement, and they figure, well... You know, what I'll do is I'll sell it, and I'll downsize once I retire, and then I'll use the proceeds to live off of. Well, you know,
0: that is— Very Very idealistic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's idealistic, and uh, it's—especially in a cyclical economy like Alberta's, often if oil turns south, you can be left with a property that's worth less than you paid for it. So, you know, ideally, if you're going to buy a home, you really want to try and have the thing paid off, before you retire and not banking on a speculative appreciation to lift you and give you the cash flow you need to um, live your golden
0: years out so it's a it's a very stern conversation that's necessary a lot of things to check on there there's eight on the list go back listen to the episode again find out what they are and and make that your checklist and determine whether or not this is really the right move for you at this time or should you continue renting and Try to wait for a softer market and an opportunity to buy at a little more affordable price. On behalf of the Financial Coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We're back next week with another edition of Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.